Think about contrasts. Maybe you have a room in your house painted with contrasting colors. Maybe you think of someone with whom your views contrast. The Barna Research Group reports that almost four out of every ten non-church-going Americans said they avoid church because of negative past experiences in churches or with church people. We think we're great, but in contrast, some people do not. Another contrast that came to mind is that our teenagers, when they have gone out to Standing Rock Reservation, have been shocked by the contrast between the way they live and the way that their peers live there. Jesus of Nazareth spoke in contrasts. In his sermon in Matthew 5, he offers six of these statements. You have heard it said, dot, 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 but I say to you, like this one, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I say to you, the contrast, do not resist an evildoer, but if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the left one also. You have heard that it was said, love, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, the contrast, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Jesus here contrasted the Mosaic law, the law of Moses, with what he believed was God's true wish for humankind. When we pay attention... He still contrasts the way we live with the way God wants us to live. Every day, we can discover contrasts in the Bible, in government, in our own lives. But in contrast to that, we have chapter 21 of Revelation. We've had 20 chapters then up to now of John's strange vision and of the of contrast that he presents for us from the, the fullest joys to the vilest judgment. But here in chapter 21, in the last book of the Bible, John reconnects everything. Heaven and earth are joined. Contrasts have disappeared. On the west side of Manhattan, the George Washington Bridge connects Manhattan, New York, with New Jersey. And this bridge has two decks, eight lanes on the top and six lanes on the bottom deck. And I learned recently that that bottom deck, the smaller one, has recently been, has been called playfully Martha, Martha Washington. But obviously, if you've got two decks on the bridge and you've got one level of road on, in New Jersey and in New York, then you've got to have a way for those two decks to merge back into one. And that's an image for us of what happens on this day that John envisions. It's as if we are on one level and God is on the upper deck and these two levels merge into one. Jerusalem. John speaks of. Jerusalem is the holiest city for John and his companions. The temple had been built there twice, 
as a home for God, as a dwelling place for God. It's almost like when we go to a nursing home to visit a friend, the Jews went to Jerusalem to visit God. In 70 AD, 70 years about after Christ's birth, the Romans conquered Jerusalem and destroyed the temple, decimated God's house. So if for you, you thought that was where God lived, can you imagine the grief that you would feel if God's house had just been razed? Most scholars think that John of Patmos wrote his revelation about 20 years after this siege of Jerusalem. So it was as approximately as distant to him as for us, President Reagan's call to Soviet leader Gorbachev to tear down the Berlin Wall and open the gate. You remember that? A little over 20 years before, earlier. In John's vision, two decades then, after the Jerusalem temple was practically leveled, he provides a message of hope. He sees a new Jerusalem, and as he describes it, it's coming down out of heaven from God. So God's up in heaven now, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Can you picture that, the the bridal veil on the pictures we've seen of Jerusalem kind of coming down from the sky? What an interesting vision. It's an intriguing image. And we're not told that God is the groom, but we're given a similar image of God descending from heaven. See, the home of God is among mortals, no longer distant. God will dwell with them. They will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them alongside them, in the next room perhaps, or sitting on the couch with us. We imagine living life without grief and suffering. And in this vision, mourning and crying and pain have disappeared. Where we get tired of crying from sadness or feeling disappointed in ourselves, God wipes away every tear from our eyes. God is right there with us, right there beside us, near enough to touch our faces and wipe away a tear. Most of us have had roommates at one time or another in our lives, and those situations are rarely without conflict. My college roommate fussed at me for never emptying the trash can And we came to realize that we had different understandings of what the word full meant. I would get mad at her for consistently setting her alarm at 4 a.m. to get up and study for tests. And we had this loft in the room so that she'd have to clamber down. She'd set her alarm on the dresser. And the loft was on the other side of the room. Now, it's not a big room, of course, but she had to climb down the ladder, go across, so that she would wake up enough so that she could then study for those two or three extra hours. Conflict, it's typical. But here, in John's vision, the conflicts and contrasts have disappeared. I liked what Christopher Rowland of Oxford University wrote. He said, God is no longer far off, 
but immediate and manifest, very much part of the world of perfection, and as evident in it as God was in the paradise of Genesis 3. And he continues, but as Paul reminds us in 2 Corinthians 5.17, that new creation is not merely something to look forward to. In Christ, there is already the possibility in the power of God's Spirit to bring about that new creation in our lives. The difference now is that we have the clear recognition of the struggle, of the birth pangs of the whole of creation, like in Romans 8, that we must undergo before that paradise can be revealed. When we look attentively, we see glimpses of the merging of heaven and earth. At the table of communion, we merge heaven and earth. As God sent Jesus to us and we remember him, we are reminded that God continues to tabernacle with us, to dwell with us, to room with us, not just in physical space, but in mysterious spiritual space. And so we merge heaven and earth at the table of communion to which God invites us all. But we also merge time at the table of communion. It's as if there are three, three train tracks that merge into one. We have on one track the time with Jesus reclining at his disciples around a table. We have this hour on the first Sunday of May, and we have the time at the end of all time when all things will merge into our creating and sustaining God. Following the anthem, it's this image of reconciliation that we will proclaim as we pass the peace of Christ to our brothers and sisters. And that will help us to continue to prepare to receive the bread and the juice. And it is these images of reconciliation that we proclaim to every person we encounter when we leave this place as well. So let us pray for God's strength. Lord our God, we thank you for images of hope, for this one that John gives us of the end of time, and yet we are reminded that it is not only at the end of time, but that you, through your Spirit, can bring about that new creation in our lives. Guide us, O God, we pray, in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.